Hello, and welcome to Primary Care Today. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough on ReachMD, and we are beginning a very exciting new show, one I've been waiting to do for quite some time, essentially because we get to talk about primary care. We talk about medicine and how primary care providers provide medicine. Now, it isn't just limited to a primary care audience. Any physician can listen because, let's face it, we talk about a wide variety of issues. As we do this show week after week, we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Hopefully, you'll get to know me a little better. I'll get to know many of you through your thoughts and what you would like as topics. And that's one of the things. I want you to reach out to ReachMD and let us know what topics you would like to have on this program. But rather than talk a lot about the program right now, I'd like to get right into the topic at hand. And today, we're talking sports medicine and orthopedics with Dr. John Kelly. Dr. Kelly is an orthopedic surgeon at the University of Pennsylvania, and Dr. Kelly and I have known each other for quite some time, and I know of his work as a clinician. I also know of his work, and we'll talk a little later, about his work helping physicians deal with stress. And since this is a physician audience, I know we have a great deal of stress we all share, and we'll talk a little about that later. But Dr. Kelly, first of all, welcome to the program. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Uh, my first question for you, um, for a primary care audience, um, sports medicine is certainly, everybody thinks they know a little bit about it, but there's just so many aspects to it. When you see someone and you're talking to a family physician or you're talking to a, an internist who's doing sports medicine, what do you tell them to focus on as far as the average person who comes in and what they should be thinking about? Uh, I think that uh, one of the blessings of uh, being an orthopedist is that uh, it trains you to think of simple and important things and, uh, you know, not, not missing the forest for the trees, so to speak. So usually patients come in with really one basic problem. And if you focus on that and not obviously not ignore the others, I think you'll take better care of your patients and uh, meet your expectations. I know you have many areas of interest, but one of your particular areas of interest is the shoulder and issues associated with the shoulder and repairing it surgically. But we get a lot of patients who come in who say, you know, my shoulder is really bothering me. And it's Starting off with an evaluation like that, are there certain questions we should be asking and, and looking at to help us out as, in making the best diagnosis? Oh, sure. You know, um, the great uh, William Osler, I use this quote because we teach residents, said, listen to the patient and he or she will tell you the disease. So, you know, we surgeons are pretty type A squared and we like to rush in and rush out. Just sit down. Just ask them, how can I help you? And just tell me the problem. And that will tell you the problem. If it's the shoulder, for instance, if, it's, if they have night pain, if they have pain lying on the shoulder, if they point to their deltoid tuberosity, it's almost always a cuff issue. If they have pain overhead or pain in front of them, they were thinking more of an overhead uh, an instability issue. Uh, pain behind the scapular plane is usually anterior pain. When the arm is in front of the scapular plane, is usually a posterior issue. And then we have throwers, anterior pains, usually less worrisome than posterior pain. And pain and follow-through may be more labral-related, posterior labral versus anterior labral. So it, it, it really behooves the doctors to sit down and listen. And then we'll get to the what I call uh, the man scan, the woman scan. You know, we have so many tests that to our veil. But I think, the Dr. We've, uh, McDonough, we've lost the art of hands-on medicine. You know, I had the blessing of spending one month in Ireland uh, when I was a medical student and didn't have much money back then. Um, when I was in med school, it was actually, uh, you know, the 20, uh, 19th century, but besides the point, uh, there was very little resources to people in Ireland at that time, the doctors, so we, they really had to very, very much heavily rely on the physical examination. And I took away with that the very important notion that, you know, we order too many tests in America. I really do think that 
not everybody needs the ultra uh, generation MRI. Not even not even every patient needs an MRI. So the I, I think that we've lost the art of listening to patients and to doing a real good comprehensive physical examination. And that's where I start in every patient. So really, you ask those questions. I agree with you. I think one of the things I've found in my years seeing patients is if you listen long enough, they pretty much tell you what they have, and you almost would have to be a fool to miss it because they'll, they'll come right out and say the key words and what's going on, and, and they do help you with that diagnosis. And, and furthermore, he even asks the patient, well, what do you think? You know, you have someone with, for instance, uh, groin pain. You say, well, do you think it's your hip? Do you think it's your back? Do you think you have a, you know, a hernia? And what do you think? And oftentimes they give you very, very important insights that you're sometimes too bashful to say, well, you know, Doc, I, I've heard that hernias cause pain when I sneeze, and you know what? It does light me up. Uh, I think I have a hernia. Like, okay, all right, well, let's look at your, let's look at your leg. So I think it's so important to, to have that um, level of trust and comfort with the patient and sit down and ask open-ended questions, and, and they'll tell you their story. They really will. They really will. So um, I've said a lot, but I think the most important thing is um, focus on what, particular principal illnesses and don't don't lose sight of other things uh, of that when you look at other things going on but most people come to see us sports sports docs for one singular problem usually there's other associated problems but one singular issue and i'm really delighted to be on the show because you know uh, we go to these conferences and i call the non-operative sports doctors the real doctors because i'm very comfortable with the uh, surgical aspects and the musculoskeletal anatomy and so forth, but, you know, the medical aspects of medicine, asthma, heart disease, so heat illness, um, you know, some of the hormonal things. Uh, boy, thank God we have uh, real doctors, Tarville, and I've, I've worked with two very, very good um, family practice uh, sports medicine trained uh, physicians. And when you look at that family medicine in sports medicine, you know, what, what, is, what is it different that they bring to the table from your perspective? Well, it's a whole different way of looking at things, a whole, uh, you know, paradigm shift. I think that their bias is, um, you know, just to look at the patient a little differently, and uh, they have a natural inclination, which is a good one, not, not to operate, exhaust every possible means of avoiding surgery. I think one of the misgivings of our healthcare system is that there's a little bit of a distance. Uh, there's no disincentive not to operate. I think that's going to change with some of the bundled payments uh, heading our way and so forth. You want a certain uh, quantum of resources. Hey, what's the best way to take care of this patient with these resources? And, and very often it's, it's without surgery. Uh, I uh, did a little tabulation uh, a while back about my practice profile. About 92% of the patients I see, I, I don't do surgery. So what do I? What I do chiefly is non-operative. Prevention is very, very important, particularly in the realm of the shoulder and thrower shoulder, and we can talk about those things uh, a little bit later. I think when you talk about, like you were talking about something key, which is the idea of prevention and trying to disagree um, maybe with your body, <laughs> your body saying, let's go out and play, let's go out and do this, let's not stretch, but really to get the prevention as the patient, but also teaching the prevention. You were going to talk a little about the shoulder and, and trying to avoid problems with it. What are some of those things? Well, I think they have a great passion for avoidance of injury, and let's talk about two two populations. One is the thrower, and the second is the person with the cuff disease. So the thrower, uh, we find that um, most throwers develop pathologic adaptations to throwing a lot of fastballs, curveballs. Their posture capsule gets tight, their scapula starts kicking out. They develop what we call kinetic chain abnormalities. If you take a young man, young woman in their fifth, uh, mid to late teens, and you do what I would call a comprehensive kinetic chain evaluation, look at their lead leg hip inch rotation and lead leg quad tightness, lead leg hip abductor strength, 
their scapula, uh, their posture capsule tightness, and their cuff strength in abduction. If you look at all those things and, and make an assessment and try to correct those early on, you're going to save a lot of label tears because we find that the slap tear, the label tear, is really the culmination of maladaptive throwing habits uh, over several months, if not years. Um, we also love the, the whole concept of the kinetic chain where if things break down downstream, they're going to have increased stress um, um, further down the line. For instance, a elbow pain in a young thrower is very commonly uh, ascribed to shoulder problems. So if a poster capsule in the shoulder is tight, that uh, kid will rely more on his elbow for what we call long axis rotation. So I can't tell you, um, Dr. McDonough, how many patients I have uh, helped their elbow by just simply rehabbing their shoulder. I can't tell you how many throwers I've also helped by just addressing their trunk or their, uh, excuse me, their lower extremity and their core. 55% of the throwing power is generated from the lower extremity. So if someone has an unrehabbed ankle sprain, that, believe it or not, could translate to increased demands on the shoulder and the shoulder issue. So we have to look at the whole person. And that's, I have the, I guess, the gift of being a little holistic in nature. California, like I give patients vitamins to and things of that nature. And I, I look at stress uh, um, as a means of maybe interfering with the rehab. Now, the cuff patient is, is also prevention, um, is the name of the game in those patients as well, because we sometimes see partial thickness cuff tears advance, the full thickness cuff tears, small tears get bigger. But tendonitis can also advance to a uh, full thickness tear. So, my patients that are over 40, over 50, we have them do a good scapula retraction program, a good cuff strengthening program. And you and I are old warrior, uh, weekend warriors and warriors and playing sports. Uh, I discourage heavy lifting in someone over 45, 50. I think their shoulders aren't able to hand that, handle that. I've seen many, many men and women with lift overhead for years and years, that glenear arthrosis and rotator cuff tear. So, just got to ramp it down a little bit and just start exercising smartly as we age and, uh, you know, give up the big guns for just the lean and mean look. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest is Dr. John Kelly from the University of Pennsylvania. Believe it or not, we have less than five minutes, and I do want to talk with you, Dr. Kelly, about a particular interest of yours. We've talked about it on many occasions, but you are really someone who's active, who lectures around the country, talking about stress and stress reduction, humor in medicine, kind of a different, as you say, a holistic approach for the healthcare provider, for the physician. Tell me a little bit about uh, your philosophy and, and share with some of our listeners of what you find so interesting and helpful about it. Well, you know, we, uh, most of us in medicine uh, have a delayed onset adolescence. We spent all those years uh, studying, and we, uh, I think, had a lot of uh, developmental delay, if you will. Um, so the triad I talk about in my, in my lectures, and this is harder in wisdom, uh, Dr. McDonough, because I've been to the drain, shall we say. I've had some several years of just overwork, burnout, stress, anxiety. And I realize that relationships are important, so I make a very, very important um, effort uh, to focus on my marriage of 25 years. It's, it's number one. Doctors have to uh, recognize that you know, uh, there's, they're about as happy as their marriage. Is uh, as the marriage goes, so goeth their happiness. So it has to be an investment. Um, number two, self-care. You know, uh, physician, heal thyself. We neglect our own health. I, I place a premium on sleep and exercise. I eat well. I try to uh, take my vitamins. And I think it's important to develop at least one good stress management technique. I took a course in mindfulness about three years ago. It was a real game changer for me. And 
you know, um, I focus on that in my lectures about living in the moment. You know, when you're in the moment, anxiety, depression kind of just vanquish because, you know, when you're focused totally in the present moment, all the other stuff kind of goes away and sort of inner wisdom takes over and you live a much more inspired and passionate life versus a, a worried and compulsive life. Um, and the third thing uh, I, I think I like to focus is just living a life of integrity and honor. You know, it's very hard not to be happy when you're a good person. Uh, no agendas, putting the patient's interests first, uh, loving your family, telling the truth, uh, you know, su- saying what you do and doing what you say, uh, not having a pseudo-self, living within your own limits. You know, one of the most stressful things I have encountered in my life is doing cases that I shouldn't be doing. You know, trying to keep your ego in check and just living a more inspired, humble, and honorable life. Those are the ingredients to happy doctors, uh, you know, personhood. Uh, we, we so many times get on the treadmill and realize, uh, you know, wake up uh, in our 50s and 60s, and say, oh my gosh, I don't know my kids. I, my wife, my, my marriage is like just plus minus. Uh, and I'm not a happy camper. Just so we listen to our body in pain, listen to your emotions and say, if I'm not happy, why not? How am I looking at life the wrong way? And what can I do to change it? They're all good points. And um, with only about a minute and a half to go, I wanted to ask you a lot. One of the things is we're, we're in a really rough time in medicine in the sense that there's a lot more economic pressure in, in most healthcare environments. Things are changing dramatically. A lot of people uh, who are physicians are wondering what's one month, two months, a year down the road. How do you deal with that? Like you say, dealing in the moment, living in the moment, but how do you offset those concerns? Well, I, I do that by living in the moment. I realize that um, the best I can do is what I can do right now. And um, by taking care of each patient one at a time, the best I can, um, you know, we're talking about quality care, value-driven care. Nothing gives a patient a more sense of uh, satisfaction than, um, you know, when you care. Um, there's an old expression we use in our communication skills workshop, which I teach for our Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, is patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So I, I don't give much credence to Prescani, all those stuff. I was raised by the Franciscan nuns. I just figure you take care of patients like your family, and everything works out for the best. And you won't be so stressed out about, you know, do, uh, how am I doing these evaluations? So with the old school approach, still goes a long way where you just spend a little more time uh, at the expense of maybe seeing a few, more, few less patients a day. Uh, but that's where the quality comes in. And, and the doctor's lives will be much more enriched because you, know, you feel uh, much more satisfied in giving that person the care he or she deserves. Dr. Kelly, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today. Couldn't have thought of a better guest to have on the first program. And thanks again for taking the time. Brian, it's my pleasure. You're a good guy. and I'm happy to help. Thank you. We'll talk to you next time on Primary Care Today.